Welcome to Mahita Talks. This is Sherry Altergat, the Chief Experience Officer at the CX Edge. Today, I'm very excited for our special guest, Danielle Dahlhauser. She's the Director of Marketing and CRM Integration for MH Equipment Company. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you, Sherry. Well, I'm very excited to have you on here. I know you've been really active in Mahita for a while now. And we're excited to have you as a guest. So thanks for taking some time with us today. Yes, well, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Good. So I promise this will be as painless as possible. Um, but we always like to just start out kind of getting to know who our speaker is for the day. So if you could just take a minute or so and tell me a little bit more about MH Equipment and how you got started in this business. Okay, absolutely. So MH Equipment is a material handling dealer. So we have a variety of material handling equipment and services that we provide. We have currently 33 branches in 10 states and a little over 900 employees. We have grown quite rapidly in the, the 16 years that I have been working for MH Equipment, and I don't uh, foresee there being any slowing down anytime soon. As far as myself being in the business, like I said, I've been uh, with the company about 16 years, and I actually started out as an executive assistant to one of our owners. And through a little trial and error, a little bit of education, and uh, just kind of organic growth, found myself now uh, being a director of marketing and CRM integration. Um, it's been really exciting over the years to see the growth of MH Equipment. We have uh, doubled in size since I've been here, so that's been pretty exciting. That is very exciting. 16 years is a long time to be anywhere. And to see that you've been there so long is a great thing to see and that you've moved up within the organization. I think it's such a special thing about this industry that we see at a lot of material handling companies, which I think is re really great for the industry as a whole. Yes, I completely agree. So with MH Equipment being such a large company within the material handling industry, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, what are you guys doing in response to the current coronavirus crisis as it relates to both your employees and the customers you serve every day? Great. So um, actually, I'd like to add a third component in there also, which is our community. So when we talk about um, how we are dressed or addressing the coronavirus um, in terms of our employees, customers, and community. For employees, we have actually um, allowed some of our employees who were able to, to be able to work from home temporarily. Uh, we also made sure that all of our facilities were stocked with cleaning supplies and hand sanitizer. Um, we also tried to position our employees where we could um, in areas for safe social distancing. For our customers, we tried to do some different things to limit contact. So we actually accommodated no contact parking lot service. Uh, we did offer some disinfecting packages for facilities and equipment. And then um, we also tried to where we could to hold virtual meetings, which I'm sure we'll probably get to later. And then for our community and our employees, actually, so MH Equipment, made a commitment to the employees that we would make all attempts possible to not lay anybody off during um, you know, the COVID crisis. So when we had technicians who were experiencing some unbillable time, we actually allowed them to go out and do charitable work on behalf of the company's His First Foundation. And so the employees would go out and they would do things like mow lawns for elderly people, they would stock food banks or deliver food. 
Um, and we actually also ran a program with our employees um, where our employees and our First First Foundation were able to pledge over $187,000 to local food banks uh, in the month of April. So, yeah, I, I was very proud of that. So I think that we've done a really good job of being able to work with our employees, work with our customers, and work with our community to mitigate some of the, the negativity that has come with the, with the coronavirus. I mean, that's such an awesome thing that you guys have done. And I've been a big believer in social responsibility and giving back. And the way that you've been able to do that with both including your employees in that, as well as giving back to the community, is a really commendable job you guys are doing. So thank you for, for all that work. And kind of maybe sticking on that topic of, of community events and, and social giving and, and things like that. I know in marketing, sometimes the lines get a little bit blurred between um, what's really a community event, what's a customer event. Mm-hmm. And I know that at MHA Clement you do a little both, as you kind of just talked about. So I was wondering if you could just give kind of what do you believe the strategic difference is? between doing a community event, such as you just described, or a customer event? So I think that um, everybody can agree that um, conducting customer events is not as lucrative as it used to be. Um, mm-hmm. I think that unless you have a compelling reason uh, for having people come to your facility, such as you're offering a training certification mm-hmm. or you're holding a seminar, actually getting people to come to your building in person is just increasingly becoming more difficult. Um, you know, a lot of people can't or won't take the time to come. They just can't justify leaving their own operations to come to an event. So in our situation, we were finding that we were spending a lot of time, effort, and money trying to get people to attend our events. And then in the end, we would most times end up frustrated by the lack of attendance. So we tried to figure out how we could still engage our employees, engage customers and prospects, and then maybe also engage our community by having a different kind of event. We actually had an employee um, that had joined and she had previously worked in city government and she had come up with the idea, well, maybe we should do something like a, a, a tons of trucks event where we invite local first responders. So we actually decided to have a different kind of event where we invited local responders. So we had things such as fire department come and they brought the fire engines. We had the police department come and they brought some police vehicles. And then we put those alongside our material handling equipment. So the huge forklifts, um, uh, regular sized forklifts. We even had a rail car mover that we had in the parking lot. And instead of focusing on inviting just customers and prospects, we actually invited the community. So we reached out to daycare centers and schools and said, hey, we are having this event where we are going to have first responders and we're going to allow kids to come and be able to play around on the equipment and ask people questions. And we got so much response from that event that it was on the local news. Um, we just got a, a tremendous amount of an awareness from that that event and just changing how we were approaching events. Wow, that, I mean, that's a really outside the box type of event. I haven't heard of a lot of those types. Usually it's, you know, in a, in a lot of scenarios that people I've talked to, it's kind of one or the other, but you were able to really merge 
kind of both within one event. So that's awesome to hear. Now, it sounds like it was a really awesome event. Obviously, right now, that would be a hard event to pull off, given the culture of social distancing and, and things of that nature. Do you believe that the current COVID environment will forever change the nature of these types of events in general? I do. So I think that with COVID now, I think that you're going to find that people are going to be hesitant to attend events. You're going to have companies that are going to be hesitant to participate in events. And so I think it's going to lead to, um, you know, more, more virtual type events. And so I'm really going to be interested to see how technology is going to evolve, uh, you know, to facilitate the need to accommodate larger events. So it'll be, be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, really well, because virtual events have been around for a long time, mm -hmm. um, but they've never really been very successful. And I think it's just because, you know, people are sitting at their computer all day anyways. They don't want to do a virtual event. They'd rather be in person. So it'll be interesting now that we're almost forced in a certain way to attend things virtually if there will be more of that. Um, right. I also think there could be, you know, depending on the adoption rate of it, more benefit to business because typically there's going to be significant less cost involved in doing some of those virtual events than there would be in an in-person event. So that's a good point. You know, kind of sticking on costs, and you had mentioned in, in the beginning, just looking at the cost of these events, maybe not always getting the return. Um, how do you measure the success of these types of events to justify the cost? Well, I think in the past, um, when we were more focused on just customer uh, and prospect type events, I mean, we really measured our return on investment by what we were able to sell as a result of the event. Um, and that's where I kind of talked about where, you know, there, we, we found ourselves being a little disappointed um, because we were finding that, you know, we were not getting a return on investment typically for that event. So, so I think that that kind of changed a little bit with the different types of events, uh, or at least with the tons of trucks event. I think it became apparent to us that the measurement um, of the awareness we were able to gain from that event exceeded in, you know, focusing on the actual sales, if that makes sense. So. Yeah, it makes total sense. And I love that you, you mentioned that because I think far too often um, we're focused too much on a very specific ROI. And when you're dealing in, in marketing, it, it's not always that clear because a lot of things that we do is for brand awareness, which yeah. is challenging to, to measure. I mean, there's no real exact science for measuring awareness in that capacity. And especially with the news coverage and things like that that you got from this last event, I mean, that there's a lot of brand awareness that um, you probably won't be able to exactly measure a return on. Right. And that was really exciting for us. And one of the things, too, that, you know, you don't necessarily consider as, or you don't really sit down and think of it as a win, but part of the wins of having these events, too, are just the employee morale that you gain. So you gain, you know, the, the excitement of having the events and sprucing up the facility and strategizing on how we can get people there to, you know, then following the event, seeing your company on the news and just, you know, having that, that, that company morale build up, you know, was definitely a win for that event too. 
Yeah, and that's such an important component. I'm glad you brought that up because it really does even help to further justify doing these types of events. So that's awesome. Um, when you start planning an event like this, what typically is your process for planning these types of events? Who's involved in that? So I really try to involve the local team. So we do have a, a checklist process that we try to put in place about nine, six to nine months in advance of the event. And so, uh, you know, we hit our specific milestones. But what we have found is really getting that buy-in from the you know, local team uh, where you know, they're responsible for making sure that you know, they're talking to their customers, they are inviting people to the event, they're talking to people, et cetera. That's really the important part. But you know, we, really, we do make sure that we start out early and we start planning because the worst thing you could do is get to you know, two weeks before the event and you're like, uh, what do we do from here? <laughs> I know it's so interesting in, in marketing, especially, you know, a lot of times we're working on events that are years, sometimes two years out, and they seem so far away, but they always come up pretty quickly. So I agree, timing is a big component. How involved do you um, have your sales team or HR, some of the other departments within your company? How involved are they in, in putting these together with you? Well, sales is essential. So it really, um, they're going to be the ones that at least in terms of customers and prospects that are going out and um, you know in, inviting and talking to them and you know making sure that they're coming etc uh, I mean marketing will send out the general awareness you know the, the general invitation but it's really going to be that salesperson who is going to get that customer through the door so sales is absolutely essential and then just you know I, I mean really it involves the whole local team People who are on the phone that are saying, hey, you know, don't forget that we are having this event on, you know, such and such date. And so really talking it up to all of our teams are really essential um, to, to making sure that we're communicating and getting people to, to have that awareness to come. Yeah, I think, you know, involving as many people as possible is really critical. Mm -hmm. And making them feel included in the process, I think, makes everybody want to pitch in and make it the best event possible. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you had mentioned time as a, you know, a really important function of planning these types of events. But outside of time, what would you say is your biggest tip uh, for planning an event? Well, and, and I, not to sound like a broken record, but I mean, make sure that you're inviting your local team. I mean having a successful event is not a marketing so is not a sole marketing function i mean it really does need to involve the local team and the excitement of everybody that is going to be you know helping with that event so making sure that you know you're building that camaraderie with uh, the team and making sure that everybody's doing their part to, to help out is really what is going to be key mm -hmm. So to switch gears just a little bit, we sort of touched on it when we talked about, you know, maybe events transferring to virtual events in the future. Mm -hmm. um, but for right now, in the climate that we're in, how are you currently keeping customers engaged when we can't have these types of face-to-face -face events or even meetings for a lot of companies? Yeah, we have we've definitely, um, like most others, had to think of creative ways to uh, get in touch with our customers. You know, no different than a lot. We were not able to physically meet with our customers for a long time. And so we did have to 
kind of think outside the box in ways that we could, um, you know, still keep in contact. I know some of our salespeople actually uh, had what they called drive-up meetings, where they would drive up and they would interact with their customer, but they'd both stay in their car, you know, and, and practicing yeah. social distancing. And we did a lot of WebEx training. Uh, so we were actually teaching our salespeople how to use WebEx, providing them a lot of content that they could share online. So that helped them out a lot. We did social selling trainings with our salespeople where we taught them how to use different social media and you know the appropriate way to connect with people there and how to keep their connections engaged. And then we also tried to do um, a little bit of a virtual event this year for National Forklift Safety Day. Um, it was not very elaborate by any means, but you know we did celebrate with social media posts. We did some blogs, we did some emails, so uh, provide a lot of content there. So yeah, I mean, just really focusing now online and how our marketing group can really help our salespeople effectively <clears throat> sell online. Yeah, I mean, digital has been so important for such a long time, but I think in what we're currently going through, it, is, it has even propelled digital to even a higher level of importance than maybe it previously was, mm -hmm. um, you know, in keeping contact with people through social media or through webinars, because, you know, that's all we have had for a while. So I think it, it's awesome that you're getting, you know, more people educated on that, because I think that will also continue way beyond, you know, once we get out of what we're going through now. Right, the internet is not going anywhere. <laughs> it's not for the foreseeable future. <laughs> I, I kid you not, even only 10 years ago, I had a, a meeting and uh, we were talking about uh, e-commerce and looking at an e-commerce platform. And, and somebody in the room actually said that uh, e-commerce is a fad. That it will be going away. <laughs> and even oh, that yeah. time, I mean, even 10 years ago, I mean, most people believed that it was um, only going to continue. But there were still some naysayers in the room that really believed that e commerce was going to be short lived. So, uh, so I'm assuming that, that person did not invest <laughs> in Amazon. <laughs> in, in all fairness, I think they might have retired a year or two after that. So, uh, there might have been some generational differences. Hmm. So that is all the questions I have for you today. I know that you've listened to some of our past uh, podcasts, and we like to get to know our members and our guests a little bit better. So we're going to go into the lightning round. Are you ready all for right. this? I'm ready. All right. So these are 10 questions. First thing answer that comes to your mind. Okay. What's your favorite day of the week? Oh, my favorite day of the week is probably Friday, just because uh, it's kind of the the last working day of the well typically but it's you know you're trying to finish up all the stuff that you started and you're excited for the weekend and so i would say friday what is the last song you downloaded oh my goodness i think it was uptown funk <laughs> <laughs> you have a place to the party <laughs> I, I know i was trying to find a song to kind of jazz me up a little bit so i was like that's a good one <laughs> Um, do you have a favorite childhood TV show, a show you watched when you were a kid that you really liked? I do. I used to watch Mr. Belvedere every day after school. Uh, yeah, sometimes it was on like TGI Fridays or something too, yeah. like Nickelodeon, I think. Um, what was the last Halloween costume you wore? Well, this last year I was a 50s girl 
so with the poodle skirt and the, the tie thing around my neck, yeah, so that was cute. <laughs> was it a theme for the group, or were you the only 50s girl? No, my girlfriend and I, we dressed up and matched together for a Halloween party that we were going to. Cute. I always love a good theme. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is the best project you've completed during the quarantine time? Oh, well, it's not work-related, but um, during quarantine, uh, we actually remodeled our whole basement. So that was a huge project that had been on the docket for a couple of years and totally excited to have that done. That's awesome. I know a few people who work for um, Home Depot, and they said they've never been busier. And it's because mm-hmm. everybody's doing their home projects now. Yes. Um, that's awesome. What is the fastest speed that you've ever driven a car? Oh, my gosh. Well, I tend to be a little bit conservative. <laughs> so I would say it's probably only about 85. <laughs> What's your favorite carb, bread, pasta, rice, or potatoes? My favorite carb? Oh, gosh, mm-hmm. all of them. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> hard to choose. Yes, but I come from a big Italian family, so nothing beats a good Italian bread. I would agree. What movie could you watch over and over again? Okay, this one always kind of makes me laugh. But typically when I watch TV, I like to watch mindless TV that I don't have to really pay attention to a storyline. And it's kind of one of those ones where you can just jump in at any point and know what's going on. So my favorite movie is Dumb and Dumber. And it's just because it's so dumb. (laughs) That's actually my husband's favorite movie. Um, oh, funny. For the same reason. And uh, yeah, so we've, that's been on repeat in our house during this time. For a while. <laughs> uh, um, and then finally, do you Instagram your food? I have, but I don't regularly. <laughs> yeah. So you're somewhere in the middle, it has to be a really Instagrammable moment for right. you to Instagram your food. Yes, it has to be completely fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, Danielle, thank you so much. You made it through. Um, this is a really fun interview, and I appreciate you taking the time out for Mejita and the Mejita members to share your experience and expertise, and we hope to have you back on the show sometime. Okay, well, I really appreciate you having me on, and it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. You've been listening to Mejita Talks with Sherry Altergut. We'll see you next time. Thank you.